0: Welcome this morning today to Waypoint Community Church. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Austin. Um, I'm one of the student pastors here. Um, And I'm just so thankful for this opportunity uh, to dive into this topic of the Holy Spirit uh, that we've been talking about for the past three weeks. Um, So if this is your first time, well, you're kind of jumping in towards the end here. Uh, But that's all right. Um, We're talking about the Holy Spirit um, in a series called Ruach. Yeah, I like it. Ruach. And so you kind of got like a little phlegmy in the back of your throat, okay? Like a ruach. Yeah. Okay. And so we're diving into, in this series, we're diving into the scriptures to understand better and know more uh, about the Holy Spirit. And so um, in this series, uh, I've just asked you guys to table whatever thoughts, experiences, ideas um, that you have, that you've got with the Holy Spirit. And just to consider first what the Bible has to offer us on the topic, what scripture has to offer us on the topic. Um, So two weeks ago, uh, we searched the scriptures from beginning over to learn um, the Holy Spirit's role in creation. Um, And we learned that the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, also his ruach, right, that's what that word means, it's spirit, it's it's breath. Um, The spirit, his ruach, is God's personal life-giving presence that is active in generating and sustaining all the life in the world around us, okay? And so last week, um, and then last week we pretty much camped out in Galatians 5 um, where we're just looking at the Spirit's role in, in messing with us, right? And, and Paul used this metaphor of fruit, and so we camped out in Galatians 5, and we just kind of learned like, right, if the Spirit's all around us generating and creating life, then what do we have to do in our lives? to cultivate in a rich environment for the spirit to come in and generate and cultivate and grow life. And so, right, we talked about how the spirit's the one that grows the fruit in our lives and our job, our role is to be a gardener, to provide a space, to provide the environment for fruit uh, to grow. Um, And so... Paul said when we open ourselves up to the spirit around us um, by knowing and believing and trusting Jesus, uh, fruit fruit can grow. Okay, and it's, it's the spirit that transforms us and gives us life. And um, this week, this week, I, oh man, guys, I wrestled, I wrestled this week. Um, preparing for this week, reflecting on past weeks, prior weeks. I just, have to, I just want to admit, like this has been probably like the most difficult, stressful like three weeks of my life uh, preparing for this and, and working on this. And, um, it, and several times I found myself just, just asking and questioning like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why did I think it was a good idea to spend squeeze a series in on the Holy Spirit in three weeks? Like, what am I trying to do here? Like, I'm anxious about how much information we're going over or not going over and whether whether what I say or what I don't say is appropriate or not. And I've just, I just had this moment this week where I'm just, I was just stuck. I was stuck, I was overwhelmed, I couldn't focus, I was just getting no work done. And I just, what I started, I just started to scroll through just some pictures on my phone, so I'm just like completely distracted now at this point, and I'm scrolling through a bunch of pictures, and of course, uh, I have a six-month-old baby, so most of them are just <laughs> baby Ophelia <laughs> in my phone, and so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm scrolling through some pictures, and, and um, I look at this picture, and this was the day she was born, this was the moment she was born, she entered the world, I became a father, and I will never forget this moment. And just the amount of love you can have for a person that you just, you don't even know them yet. Like, you don't even know them. And that's actually not what struck me in this photo. What struck me in this photo is that these are her first moments in the world. These are her first moments in the world. And how how does it look like she feels about it? Not good, right? She's she's uh she's not she's obviously not about it, right? She's frustrated. She's and and I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, okay, that makes sense because you know in mom she was cozy, she was comfortable, right, warm in there, and then all of a sudden like she's forced out into this bright, cold like hospital room where they wrap her in cotton, which is probably not even nearly as comfortable as as what she was used to, and this picture just captures that emotional response, those first moments in this world. And this is is how we all entered into this world. It was this traumatic, chaotic, emotional experience full of confusion and chaos and people poking you and inspecting you. And, like, thank God none of us remember this because it was probably just the most terrifying, anxiety-ridden moment of your life. Right? And so I'm looking at this picture, and I just kind of think to myself, like with the week I've been having, (laughs) I'm just like, does it get any better? Does it get any better? And I know I'm a little dramatic here this morning, but many of our lives are still filled. Many of our lives are still filled with fear and anxiety and stress and chaos and confusion. And so I know I'm being dramatic because, yes, there are a lot of fun and, and cool and just amazing, incredible things, right? Things like ice cream. And Star Wars and football, right? And like those things that we have in our life. And what makes those things so good and fun and incredible is that our life isn't ice cream, Star Wars, and football, right? Like, no. That, welcome to humanity. <laughs> welcome to adulthood, as I was told, right? This is, but no, it, this is this is this is humanity. And so, a question kind of came out of this moment as I'm staring at this picture, and a, a question just struck me. Is like, what good news? What good, other than ice cream, Star Wars, and football, what good news do I have to offer Ophi? Right? Who entered this world in a fearful and confusing uh, state and who will continue to have moments of fear and confusion in the world? Like, what, what as a father? What news do I have as a father to offer her? Because if I don't have good news to offer Ophelia as as her father, like, what am I doing? What am I doing as a father? And more more importantly, what am I doing up here as a pastor? If I don't have good news to offer you guys, what, what am I doing? And it's this question. It's this question that struck me as I was preparing for this. As a father, as a pastor, that challenged me this week, and that gave me a new perspective for what we're going to explore today about the Spirit and its role in in mediating and communicating uh, this, this good news, okay? So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 3, um, and we're kind of going to pick up right here in the middle of it, right, uh, verse 13. But because we're going to do that, I want to catch you guys up. I want to get you guys up to speed on things, okay? So uh, Matthew starts off with uh, with a man called John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Apostle, okay? John the Baptist was this uh, eccentric, like, camel fur-wearing, bug-eating person, okay? He was He was strange in our eyes. Um, and Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah when he refers to John as, as the one who would announce the coming of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So God, or so John is calling, he's calling Israel in this moment, and so he's calling out, right, he has a voice in the wilderness, he's saying, repent, repent, and be baptized, because it's, con- it's his conviction that Israel has forfeited the promises, the covenant promises of God, and so he's baptizing people in the Jordan River um, because, and there's significance here, because being immersed in the waters of the Jordan, going through the Jordan, is reminiscent of Israel's passage into the promised land, into the, the covenant promise land, okay? And so lots of people were coming down and being baptized, lots of people were coming down and being like, you're crazy, dude, like not just because you're wearing camel fur and eating bugs, because that's actually not, su- Elijah and Elisha did that, those prophets of the Bible, they, they kind of did that thing. So that's not, cra- cr- he's crazy because he's telling everybody to go and get baptized because there's someone coming. There's someone coming who's bringing with them the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and he's going to baptize you with fire. <laughs> that sounds fun. Fire, right? And so, um, this is, this is why they're like, he's telling people this, and like, you're crazy, okay? And so here's what John the Baptist recognizes. He recognizes that there's a, there's a whole bunch about Israel and, and, and about them that needs to be purged, purified, or, or burned away, right, for that fire. Burned away, so to speak. Think farmers when they have to burn their fields to, to bring new... Bountiful harvests, right? So they, they burn the fields. Because the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence, God's life-giving personal presence, when it comes and it's going to generate new life and grow new fruit, some of that crap has got to be out of the way for that to happen, right? Be a gardener, okay? And so uh, who's going to come? So this person, John says this person, is going to bring the Holy Spirit in fire. And so this person enters the scene, and this person is who? It's Jesus. And he enters the story as an adult here, and this is where we pick up in verse 13. Okay, so verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to you me baptize you, no, I need to be baptized by you. So you why do you come to me? Like, no, this isn't how it works. And Jesus replies, Let it, let it be so now. It is proper for us to, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented, and so Jesus comes to be baptized by John. John's like, bro, don't you know this is like Michael Jordan asking Shaq to teach him to how to fr- throw a free throw? Okay, like some of you will understand that, all right. But he tells so so he, this, he's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, no, and, and Jesus is like, John, let it be. To fulfill all righteousness, okay? And righteousness is this, this Old Testament prophet language of God's promise to rescue and restore his world and bring, bring it back to justice. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes. Jesus is here to fulfill God's righteousness in a world and, and to come and set all things right. And so Jesus is going to get baptized by John in order to identify with these people who recognize Israel Israel has got issues And we we need a new covenant. We need to come come and be baptized. And so Jesus gets baptized to identify with this moment, to identify uh, with the need for a new covenant with God. And and we kind of talked about this baptism moment in week one. um, And we just talked about it for a second in the beginning of the series as we explored the Spirit's role in creation um, and the new creation, so to speak. But today we're going to be coming at this from a different perspective. Okay, from a different perspective. And it's my opinion that... If we don't grasp, if we don't grasp what we're going to talk about today, um, I think we, uh, everything that we've talked about up until this point, it just doesn't matter. If we don't grasp what Matthew and, and Paul later, what they're talking about, it just it doesn't matter what we've learned. Okay, so we're going to dive in, so we're going to continue in verse 16. Um, Matthew says, as, Jesus, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting. Alighting. Does anyone use that word this week? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Alighting, like resting, settling on. Okay, resting on him, and then and then and God speaks. Right, and a voice from heaven said, "This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." And so the story has been leading up to this moment, right, where this person is coming, this person, and this person is Jesus, and Jesus enters the scene, and as Jesus, bapti- Jesus is baptized, there's this visionary experience, right? There's this moment, heaven opens up, like, actually, I actually, don't know what it was like. There's talk of this in the Old Testament, but heaven opens up, and then the Spirit of God descends and, and, and rests, right? It, like a, like a what? Like a? dove not not it was a dove like a dove because it's, it's visionary it's this moment where God's personal presence comes down like a bird and hovers over Jesus in the waters right and this is totally totally Genesis 1 here in this moment right the spirit is hovering waiting over the waters settling over Jesus ready to be a part of this moment um, in God's story in creation Okay, and then, so, and then what happens? God speaks, and he speaks three phrases, and he says, This is my son, I love him, and I am pleased, I am well pleased by him. Okay, and it's in this moment, uh, and I didn't know this before, but actually in this moment, God is quoting himself. God is quoting himself, and he's actually referring to a word spoken through the prophet Isaiah, who Matthew has already quoted and mentioned okay, and uh, earlier in the chapter. But this is from Isaiah 42, and God says, Look at my servant, whom I've strengthened. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. You see, when God does this, he is announcing that Jesus is the one that all of these ancient prophecies, he is the one that is, all these prophecies are pointing to. But did you catch a difference between Isaiah 42 and Matthew 3? There's a a pretty significant difference there. Did anyone catch it? God says in, in Isaiah 42, this is my servant. And then in Matthew chapter 3, God says, this is my son. Yeah, this is my son. That's a big difference, right? Yes, it's a big, it's a big difference. And it's actually in this moment, something very important to us is revealed. This is, this is revealing to us something very important about who God is. And, and at this time, this was like reality-shattering, category-breaking news. Like to us, we're like, oh, we knew that right like we knew that you read the bible okay but to them this was category breaking like there were hints of it in the old testament but nothing that would prepare them for what god just revealed to himself to be and what did god reveal himself to be a father a father okay and what does the father say about his son I love him. I love him, right? And, and it's this fundamental relationship. It's this fundamental relationship between God and his son. I love him. And it's that love that's communicated from the Father to the Son through whom? The Spirit, right? The Spirit is this personal presence of the Father coming to be with the Son to empower him, to enable him, to anoint him, but then also specifically here in this moment to communicate his love to him. I love him, okay? And, and here's what struck me about this moment, is because up until this point of, of the story in Matthew chapter 3, what has Jesus done? He was born. He was born, so Jesus has, <laughs> right? He's cried, he's ate, he's slept, he's pooped his pants. He's, all the things the baby does, he's done up until this point, but what other than that? Like, what, this, is, this is the first time we see Jesus as an adult entering into, about to start his ministry. What has Jesus done up to this point? Nothing. Nothing. He has no followers yet, right? He hasn't performed any miracles or any signs or any wonders. He hasn't had any amazing teachings or parables or proverbs yet. He hasn't done any of these things yet. And yet, what is the Father's statement in and through the Spirit about Jesus I love him. And not even just I love him, it's I am am pleased with him. But what has Jesus done? What has Jesus done to elicit God's love and his pleasure? The answer is nothing. Jesus has done nothing yet. You see, we all inherit, we all inherit this vision of, of what love is, and whether it's from your, your personal story, like your, your own life experience, or maybe cultural upbringing, because in our culture, right, love is this love emotional response to, to passion, right? But in the Bible, love is, is action, Love is action, and love is a choice, and it's, it's a choice to choose the well-being of another person through my actions and my decisions, despite their actions and their decisions towards me. Like, that is love in the Bible, okay? And before Jesus has done anything, anything at all to earn the Father's love, the Father makes this statement to him. He says, I love you, and it's this eternal disposition and posture cho- towards his Son, towards Jesus, about this love and this personal, this permanent commitment before Jesus has done anything at all. Anything at all. And this is just so opposite to all of our experiences of love, right? Save maybe one relationship, and that's between a parent and their children. And even that isn't a perfect example of this because if you think about it, most of our lives, most of our experiences of love is based on the understanding that I need to do something. I need to do something in order to be desirable to people, Right, I mean, just think about what drives you every day of your life. Right, you got to be responsible because you have to go to work, because you have to make money, because you have to provide for the people that that are that are counting on you. Right, that you're responsible for, that are depending on you. But it's also deeper than this, though, too, because this des- the same de- desire, the same desire, also dictates like it drives what we wear. Right. How we make ourselves look to others, right? And just how hypersensitive we are about our appearance to others. Why is that? Why is that? It's because there's something about the human heart, the human condition, where we want to be known and be lovable to others, right? There's something about us that just wants, we want to be desired, to be admired. To know, to know that someone is pleased with us. And when we, when we as humans are deprived of that, I, I just, we just don't work. We don't work, at least not as well as, some, as, as we should. Think about if a car doesn't have gas. You, okay, aside from the guy who's like, oh, that can be electric. Okay, hold on. If a car doesn't have something to fuel it, it's not going to run, okay? Human beings just don't work when we don't have love and approval because it just, it's something that affects us emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's this big thing around us, and we just spend our lives trying to make ourselves lovable, right? And it's, right, because we want to be successful, okay? We want to be admirable. We want to we try to do the right things and look the right way because when we do, then our friends will like us. Because when I do the right things, when I make, when I make the right choices, then maybe my, my parents will, will approve of me, okay? Or, or maybe your teachers, if I, do the right, if I do these things, your teachers, your coaches, your boss, maybe they'll notice you. I'm describing the world we live in, and that's our day-to-day experience here. But the story in Matthew chapter 3 is just so opposite of that, because what's revealed here in Jesus is this love, and it's this love that just, it stands at the center of the universe, and it's this love that precedes everything, okay? Because Jesus, it precedes everything, because it precedes Jesus doing anything. I love him. Jesus didn't do anything yet. In fact, Jesus comes and does everything that he does not to earn the love of the Father, but actually generated generated out of the fact that the Father loves him. Here in Matthew chapter 3, a love is revealed that just, it precedes everything, friends. And it's the, the only thing I can liken it to is just the love that a mother or a father has for that little human being before they arrive. This language of father and son, surely it is meant to refer to this human experience that that some of us have had the opportunity to be a part of, right? It's this God is the source of love and before we do anything at all, it's just there. And it's this spirit, it's the spirit that communicates this love and mediates this love to us. So what happens next in in this story? Okay, Jesus is baptized, right? The, The spirit descends on him and through the spirit, The Father communicates His love. And what happens next? What happens next? Matthew chapter 4. Okay, Jesus was led by the Spirit. So, this loving presence, this personal presence that communicates the love of the Father to the Son, leads the Son. And where does it lead the Son? Into the wilderness. Well, into the wilderness to do what? To be tempted, to be tested. Well, tempted and tested to do what? Well, who does Jesus find in the wilderness? Who does he encounter there? He encounters the personal presence of evil, the enemy, right? The scriptures refer to this being as, as the Satan or the, the, the enemy, the devil, okay? And so we see the Son led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by evil. And what is the primary tactic of this evil? What does this evil do? What does this tester come to do to Jesus? Well, in all three cases, the tester asks Jesus questions, okay? And he asks three of them, and he says, all of them start with, all of them start the exact same. It's, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are God's beloved Son, then why are you out here starving, why are you out here tired and hungry and alone, right? If All of these circumstances around you, Jesus, would definitely say that God does not love you right now. Just look at the circumstances. If you really are the Son of God, then do some little magic trick and provide for yourself out here and, and show everyone who you are, who you really are, right? And in each case, how does Jesus respond? Jesus humbles himself. And he quotes the scripture, and then in the power of the spirit, he's being led by the spirit, in the power of the spirit, Jesus asserts, he asserts himself over evil, and he just says, away. He says, away from me, right? Jesus counters evil, and he counters this voice, trying to get him to doubt his status as the son, as the beloved son, and by the power of the spirit, he resists the urge to be deceived by evil, How are we all doing? We good? Thumbs up, thumbs down, maybe? No? Okay. Me too. All right, we're good. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, Paul Paul puts it like this, okay? He has a pretty good idea of this, and this is from Romans chapter 8, and I want you guys to pay attention to the language here specifically. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What did Matthew say? What, what, what did uh, the Spirit do to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 at the beginning? It led him, right? It led him. So, so Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to, to sonship. To this family and so because of Jesus we can now open ourselves up to the spirit of God around us right because of his work right God's personal life-giving presence of love is around us and through Jesus we can receive the spirit because because right God sends the son God sends the son to be the one true human all right, the human being that we all perpetually, connect, that we all perpetually fail at every single day. So, so God comes as the one true human being, Jesus, and he binds himself to the sinful, broken humanity, and he permanently commits himself to rescuing us and bringing us justice and restoration. And he does that by sending his spirit to communicate his love to us, right? He sends a spirit to communicate his love to the son and this love leads Jesus to what? To ultimately die on a cross. This moment of the cross is where the story leads us. The spirit leads Jesus. And and, and it's this moment where Jesus lived for every single one of us. Okay, he lived for each one of us as humans as we fail to do, to be the humans that we were made to be. And so Jesus comes and he is that human and he dies on the cross. The worst possible way to die. To absorb the cost and consequences of those failures, those sins. Right, all the stupid selfish decisions that I make day in and day out. And through his spirit and his love, Jesus conquers death and he conquers the sin, all the sin that brings death to offer us new life, to offer the world life. To those who look to the Son in faith, who choose to follow him, it's like there's there's a new life for you. You've become marked, right? Stamped. Stamped by the Spirit. And now Paul says, adopted You've been adopted. Sons and daughters of this new family generated out of the love of the father and, and just communicated by the spirit to the son. So Paul says, Paul says by him, this is the end of the chapter, by him we cry Abba, father. Okay, and Jesus, because Jesus in the moment, he referred to Abba. God is, God is Abba, father. And Abba is this Aramaic word. It's this ancient word that they would use to talk about their dad. Their, their humanly earthly dad. And so Paul says, because Jesus referred to God as, as Abba, we're invited to, as sons and daughters, we're invited to call God by the exact same name, Abba, Father. And Paul here closes by testifying, the Spirit himself will testify with our spirit that we are God's children. And you see, the story of Jesus' baptism is as much about Jesus and true about Jesus as it is about us and this is what Matthew and Paul are trying to get out here they want us to understand that what's true of Jesus is true of those who reach out to him in faith those who cling to him and the same spirit that communicates the eternal pre-existing right preceding love of the father is now is now also yours too and it becomes this voice that testifies for us, this voice that speaks in our hearts and in our minds, that, that, that tells us you're loved before you ever even did anything. Okay? It tells us who we really are. It's this voice that testifies for us. That's what Paul says testifies for us, telling us we're beloved. You are my son, right? This, and and it's always, this love, it has always been there. It is for you, right? Before you even arrived onto the scene, there was this one person expecting you, and his fundamental posture towards you is one of utter commitment and love, and it's the spirit that communicates that love, And so if you guys, if you grab on to anything during this message, during this series, uh, first and foremost, I hope it's Jesus, okay? I hope it's Jesus. But second, what follows is that the Spirit is a voice of love. It is a voice of love reminding you who you are, beloved. And that that same, and and before you ever, right, it's it's preexisted you. Before you ever failed a math test, before you ever didn't make a team, right? Before you ever got kicked out of your parents' house, okay? Before you, that person ever left you, before you ever got fired from a job, before you ever deemed yourself unlovable, before you ever deemed yourself ugly, uh, unattractive, right? People just don't want to be around me. Before all of that, this voice communicates this love. It says, I love you. It preexists all of that. Okay it says this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased this is my daughter whom I love with whom I'm well pleased so and our role our role in all of this as we have this voice, is to discipline ourselves. It's to discipline our minds so that the next time you hear a different voice, the next time the voice of the tester comes, right, and this voice of evil who wants you to doubt God's goodness in your life, who wants you to doubt um, who God is towards you, your father, and wants you to doubt his love for you and wants you to doubt your status as a child of God, we discipline our minds and we're led by the Spirit to allow the Spirit to fill our minds and hearts and testify for us, reminding you of who you are. Child of God, you are loved. I love you, I'm pleased with you. I'm amazed by you. That picture that I showed you of Ophi, um, of her first moments in this world, right? That chaotic time. Uh, later, later that night, as mom was resting because holy cow mom, good job, okay. Um, I was holding Ophelia on, on my bare chest and, and it's skin, because skin to skin times are really important in this moment, right? So they just have to be right up on you, okay? And it's for, for the next couple days, for the next couple weeks. And I just remember in this moment, right? I just have her here and I'm just telling her, I love you. Right? Despite all the chaos and confusion of this moment, of this world, I love you, I'm amazed by you, I've been waiting for you, I am pleased by you, I just love her so much. And it was that perspective that just changed all of this for me. And it's that perspective that I think Paul is trying to get at. When he says, listen, there's this voice. There's this voice that's trying to get your attention. I know the world's chaotic. I know there's a ton of crap in it. But there's this voice telling you, reminding you every day, above all the other voices, above all the other noise in the world, right, a voice that bears good news. A voice that looks at you and says, you are mine. You are love. And this is what the Spirit is trying to get us to listen to. So can we can we just pray as we discipline our minds to to listen to the Spirit right now? Would you guys just pray with me? God, I pray Abba. I pray, Father, thank you. Thank you for your love that has now just taken on a completely different perspective for me as I reflect on this moment when you spoke to your son, I love you, and that it was your plan all along to invite us into your family to bring us all of our mess, all of our chaos. To bring us to a place in unity and in relationship with you, where we have this voice in our lives reminding us, "No, I'm I'm not, I'm not unlovable." Right, God, I'm not, and and it's and it's it's just such a powerful thing because sometimes I stand up here, God, and I feel like. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not typically the person that, that people want to be around. I'm not typically the person that, that people want to talk to. Or, you know, and you might be thinking these thoughts, and God, you, you just know it doesn't matter. I love you. Jesus, thank you for showing us who the Father is. Thank you for your work on the cross so we can have this relationship with, with Abba, with Father. Lord, I pray that you would restore and redeem our our relationships here on earth so that despite whatever earthly father relationship, whatever earthly parent relationship we have, God, we can look to you and we can be like, no, you, you are the one who determines if I am loved. God, help us to discipline our minds and to be led by the Spirit. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and it's in your name. Amen.